Let me ask you a very important question. Who is a perfect man or woman? What is your definition of a perfect person? According to James 3.2, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is a perfect. Biblical definition of a perfect person is a one whose speech or speaking is faultless. And also, the Bible tells us to be the perfect person. When James defines a perfect person to be the person who uses his or her tongue flawlessly, Jesus, I mean, James was actually calling us to be the perfect person. Why is it James is connecting the control of tongue to the perfection and much more calling us to that perfection? Couldn't he simply say just the control of a tongue is a good and safe thing to do? Why does he call us to be a perfect? Do you tell your children to be perfect? I never tell my children to be perfect. What's the reference point of uh, James here? Here, James was reminding us of an earlier command of uh, Jesus, his half-brother, especially Jesus' Sermon on Mount. So look at the Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, which he said, be, for, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is a perfect. As I said earlier, James was writing his book based on Jesus' Sermon on Mount with the flavor of a wisdom literature. Now, how do you like this command of Jesus? Be, for, be perfect as God is a perfect. When I heard this command first time, I was shocked and confused and overwhelmed. How in the world Jesus is expecting us to be a perfect like God? You know, the key and the clue in this command is that according to Jesus, God is who? Our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father. What does it mean? If God is our Heavenly Father, that means we are His children. And if we are born again as God's children, we can be perfect like God because perfection is God's character and the God's you know, character or DNA is imparted to God's children. You know, some of you took the Cornerstone Bible study. There I mentioned a great early church father named Gregory of Nyssa, 4th century church father, one of the three uh, theologians of uh, Cappadocia. And uh, in his writing, The Life of Moses, Gregory of Nyssa defined the perfection in this way. Perfection is an eternal progress. Perfection, human perfection, is an eternal progress. This is uh, one of the top, whatever, favorite theological, spiritual sayings. And it gives us such a great, promise and hope to all of us. First of all, when Gregory of Nyssa said perfection is eternal progress, he's talking about perfection is an ongoing journey with God. Only eternal being is God. So when we journey with God, guess what? When you travel with somebody for a long time, what happened? You become like that person. We become like God. 
So when we become perfect, it means we become better each day because each day we experience God little more than yesterday. So our perfection comes from perfect God who loves us. And the more we experience God, the more perfect we will be. Therefore, being a perfect means getting better every day. Hallelujah. So perfection is not a static. It's a dynamic. It's a moving, growing, progressing, advancing. Amen? That means we can be better today than yesterday and better tomorrow than today because we understand God's love deeper. Hallelujah. So today, for James, his half-brother, Jesus calls for perfection. It's actually called for control our tongue and practice our tongue. Perfect person is the one who transforms his tongue with God's grace. So with that, let's read our text today, James 3, 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take the sheep as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong wind, they are steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forests set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed, have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. With it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth can come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Flowers fall, grass withers, and the water of God lasts forever. Today's text is a tour de force or teaching par excellence on human tongue and its, and its truth. And before we uh, examine the four major truths about our tongue, we must remember James has already been telling us about the topic of tongue in the previous sections. So James chapter 1, do you remember James was saying that, you know, quick to listen and slow to speak? And then chapter 1 verse 26, James also said, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So religious, good religious people is the one who controls a tongue. And James 3, 2, 3, if you show special attention to the men wearing fine clothes, say they hear a good seat for you, and but said to the poor man, 
you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. James showed us that a sin of a favoritism was actually committed by discriminatory speeches, flattering words to the rich people and harshly flattening words to the poor. So we saw also the last Sunday that faith without deeds or that faith is actually those means of those people who talk the talk but do not walk the walk. The topic of tongue has been in the background in the book of James. And today is on the center stage. And uh, James wants to really, really give us a wisdom and direction and warning, you name it, to control our tongue for the glory of God. And here is a key statement. Our speech is a secret to sanctification. Our speech is a secret to sanctification. You and I cannot, be, cannot become sanctified unless our speaking becomes holy and sanctified. Here we find James teaching four truths about our tongue. And here are the four reasons we need to watch out for our tongue. The first one, we are responsible for our speeches. We are responsible for our speeches. First one, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow uh, believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is a perfect or able to keep their whole body in check. I need to uh, clarify on topic of judgment first before we get into uh, our main, 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 main point. Because some people wonder, didn't Jesus say uh, in like a passage like John 5.24 that truly I'll tell you anyone who hears my word and believes the one who sent me has an eternal life will never be judged but has crossed over from death to life? So God promised, Jesus said, it's no judgment for whoever believes him. Why in the world, you know, James saying here that God will judge? Not just people, but judging God's preachers. I want to tell you, God's judging his preachers and teachers is very different from God judging people in general. We, the believers of Jesus and his gospel, will not be judged about who we are as the children of God but we will be evaluated on how we lived out as a children of God. So, judgment for believers is about stewardship, not about a sonship or daughtership. It's not about salvation. Followers of Christ will be judged about our discipleship, not about our eternal destination. Give you one good example. When my children you know, argue or fight, what usually I say, or one who is misbehaving, you know, I say, who do you think you are? That's how usually I say. When I say, who do you think you are? I'm not talking about, I'm going to reevaluate your child, your, 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 you know, your family stance in our family. I might disown you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm telling the, my child that, don't you forget who you are. Behave like, you know, my beloved daughter. Now, James tells us that teachers will be judged more strictly. And the Greek actually literally means mega judgment. 
mega judgment. Teachers will receive mega judgment. Why did James start with the teachers? Main reason was not just because the teachers talk more than other people, but because back then they are false, dangerous teachers who are teaching false doctrines such as the dead orthodoxy that we, renew, we reviewed last week. There were people who have a very nominal you know, orthodoxy, you know, just believing in the right doctrine, that's all you need. Those kind of teachers James was bringing back. So last week we saw James denouncing that orthodoxy or faith without deeds or good works. And false teaching is a major enemy of truth in Christian faith. Now, teachers were very prominent in the life of our early church from the beginning. Because the first New Testament Christians were Jewish people. And as you know, Jewish people, for them, rabbi is the, in a way, soul of their community. Some, somebody said the rabbis are de facto center of a Jewish community. One, one, one simple illustration is this. Are you guys, those of you from New York City, have you seen Hasidic Jews? Those are Jewish people who wore the, you know, they're very, you know, that the Jewish hairstyle and clothing with, a, you know. There was a documentary in PBS about how Hasidic Jews uh, migrated from central Russia to New York City. Actually, they tried to come to New York City in 1920 when Russia had a Bolshevik revolution and communists took the power. But guess why they didn't come then? Their rabbi said, guess what, when they asked the rabbi, should we go to America, you know, you know uh, escaping this communist, their rabbi said, no. Materialism and capitalism is a more spiritual, poses a more spiritual danger than communism. Persecution is a better than compromise. So rabbi said no, and they didn't come. And then what? Then World War II happened. Germans came, start killing all the Jews. And that's when the rabbi said, maybe we should leave. And that's how they came. And then they established that uh, Jewish community, Orthodox Jewish community in New York, and uh, you know, they start dealing with the Asians in the Diamond District, and I bought my watch in Diamond District, so I, 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 know, I know what I'm talking about. Point is, teachers are very important in early church. So even Apostle Paul said teaching as one of the top lists of a church leadership. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, Paul said God has placed the church, first of all, apostles, then prophets and teachers, and then miracles and the gifts of healing and helping and guidance and different kinds of speaking tongues. So being a teacher in Judeo-Christian tradition is a dead serious business. So just like a false prophet, was supposed to be stoned to death, false or unfaithful teachers will be strictly and seriously judged by God. On that note, I want to tell you this. I'm very aware of my teaching responsibility. I'm acutely sensitive to my culpability for any misteaching. My Life dream is to hear on, from Jesus on the day of judgment, well done, my faithful servant. 
by the same token, one thing I dread more than anything is a Jesus rebuke that you are blind and you misled my people. I'm sharing my deepest fear as a pastor and teacher at Forest because sometimes my political expositions of the gospel made some of you very uncomfortable and even offended. And if you think I have abused a pulpit of a forest for my own political bias, by all means, feel free to share your concerns with me. I'm all, I, I, I open, I'm open for any political you know, discussions, especially when it comes to the gospel. But in case you don't want to, let me give you comfort today. I will be judged by God more strictly than you can wish for. And I assure you, I take my teaching ministry and pulpit responsibility more seriously than any, any, anybody. Any physicians fear the charge of a malpractice. So, I might, so, so here it is. I might mistake my judgment call. But guess what? God never makes a mistake in his judgment. God's judgment is impeccable and perfect, never inconsistent. Some of you baseball fans, did you guys, any, any, any uh, National League fans here? Dodgers fan? No. Giants fan? All right. This is a Dallas football country. Uh, forget it. You know, last Thursday, I indulged myself because... I'm a Dodgers fan, and the Dodgers is my first love. I came to Los Angeles when I was 19. That's when the, uh, Fernando Valenzuela, this phenom from Mexico, totally took the major league by storm, and then Dodgers won World Series. So Dodgers is my uh, first love. But I never last, I don't remember the last time I saw a, a baseball game from first inning to the last inning. I don't have a patience for that, and I don't have time for that. You know, any excitement game, I always watch at the end or highlight, you know. But last Thursday, the last game of a National League division series between San Francisco Giants and the Dodgers, I watched from the first inning to the last inning whole two and a half hours. Why? It was a historical game. You should know. I'm sorry, you don't have to know like a Bible, but, you know, those are sports fans, you should know. First time in Major League Baseball history, two teams who won 107 games met together. This is a de facto World Series game. Seriously, I think a World Series we should give to one of these two teams. And so they are playing, and game was close. It was a 2-1 in ninth inning, and the Max Scherzer, he came for Dodgers. As a, he was started, but as a reliever, reliever. And the two-out, two-strike runner in the first base, and uh, a better name, uh, Wilmer Flores came, and he, was, he never hit a hit against uh, Max Weiser. But anyway, two-strike, two-out. Ninth inning, winner goes to the next level. Loser goes home. And then the pitcher throw the ball, and the batter did a check swing. He did only half, I mean, one-third. 
That means it's not a strike, it's not swing. But the first base umpire calls it swing and game ended. It was a horrible ending, controversial ending, even though I'm a Dodgers fan and happy for Dodgers win, but my heart broke for the Giants. The game should not end like that. And the reason I'm telling you this, this kind of a non-spiritual sporting news, God is not, God's judgment call is not inconsistent like that of first base umpire. God's judgment is impeccable. Now, why God's judgment is perfect? Do you know why? Listen to me. This is an important point. God uses our words to judge our life. Look at the Matthew 12, verse 36. Jesus said, I'll tell you that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your word you will be acquitted, and by your word you will be condemned. Paul repeats the same thing in the Romans 14, 12. On that day, each one of us will give account of ourselves to God. You know why God's judgment is impeccable? Because God will use our word, our own word as a witnesses. So that's why God's word, God's judgment is impeccable. And now, James is switching from teachers to all of us. We all stumble. So, not just teachers like me, but everyone here, one day we will be responsible for the words that we spoke in our life before God. That's the first point. Second point. Second truth of tongue is that tongue is powerful. Because tongue or our speech runs our life. It directs the rest of our life. Look at the verse 3. When you put this into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a sheep as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong wind, they are steered by the small rudder wherever Pilate wants to go. James uses two analogies of a bits and rudder here to make a point. Tongue is a small but mighty. You know, a bit is a relatively small instrument. But when you put the bit into the mouth of a horse, you can control that 2,000 pounds that that, that the beast. Same thing is true of a ship's rudder. Incredibly small compared to the size of a ship, but when the captain turned the you know, wheel and then the rudder turned toward, turned to likewise, captain has a control. You know, during World War II, German Navy had a third largest battleship in the in entire world. It called the Bismarck. Battleship Bismarck. And the uh, uh, Royal Navy, uh, Great Britain's own Royal Navy, they tried to sink this, you know, terrorizing ship many times, and they failed, and finally, guess how they sunk the ship, sank the ship. A torpedo hit the rudder of a Bismarck, and Bismarck could not steer right, but start making a circle. When you start making circle, you cannot go home port. And eventually it was sunk by Allied you know, bombing, bombers. Just like a damaged you know, a rudder can sink a ship, damaged tongue can damage one's life because it drags and runs one's life. Words are powerful. 
in the Bible, in the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, we saw the power of God. God created everything through His Word. And our Lord Jesus' nickname was a Word or Lagos in the Gospel of John. And Apostle John described that God's coming to our world as a Word became a flesh. Because the words are powerful, words are precious. You know, in the context of the book of James, our commentator said we must recognize that first thing James pointed out after speaking about importance of good works with the faith is about word. Why? Words are also works. And good words are the best works. Good words are the very important works. If we do not discipline and purify our speech, we will not discipline and purify the rest of our life. You know, especially in America, we cherish this uh, freedom of speech. And we champion for the right of a free speech. But we must recognize the responsibility because the words are creative and directive. You know, kind words matter. Kind words matter than, I want to say this, I want you to remember this. Kind words matters more than right words. Speaking kindly matters more than speaking correctly these days. I think it is Satan's trick for us to speak the correct words unkindly. It's a demonic to speak the truth without love. Yes. It is demonic to speak the truth without love. Christians, we are called to speak not just the truth, but truth in love. But Satan deceives us that when we have a right word, we think we have a right to speak any way that we want to. Right word does not give us any right to speak harshly or any way we like. Actually, Bible calls us speak kindly because love is patient and kind. Now, when we control our mind, our word, you know what happened? You can control your mind. Control your word, you control your mind. Try next time when there was a challenging situation. You control your word with the grace of God and humility and patience. You can control the situation. There was a woman who had a very serious throat condition. Doctor told her that her vocal cords needed a complete rest, and she was forbidden to speak for six months. With a husband and six kids, this seems impossible, but she had no choice. So when she needed a key, she whistled. She blew a whistle, and when she needed to communicate, she wrote things on the pads on the paper. After six months, her voice came back, and when asked what it was like to communicate only in writing, this is what she said. You'd be surprised how many notes I crumbled up and threw into the trash before I gave them to anyone. Seeing my words before anyone heard them had an effect, on, effect that I don't think I can ever forget. Do you know how many words that we use a day? According to researchers, 
Most people open their mouth average 600 to 700 times a day. In those times, we, we use about 16,000 words a day. 16,000 words a day. 16,000 words translate about the 50 printed pages. 50 printed pages. So if there was a you know, 24 hour, you know, I mean, secretary next to you or whatever, the uh, dictator, you know, they can write a 50 pages out of your speaking. It means in a year, average person can fill 60 books of uh, 300 pages. You know, my PhD dissertation was about 300 pages. So based on that, all of us can 60 books a year. Let us not just, uh, we will not just write any book. If you write a book, you will put your thought and, you know, everything into it. Likewise, let's speak carefully and especially kindly. Let me move on to three point three truth, third truth about the tongue, that our speech can ruin our life. You know, first James talked about the positive, you know, power of a tongue. Now he's talking about negative power. Tongue is a powerfully destructive. And verse 5, likewise, tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes a great boast. Consider what great forest is on set on fire by small spark. Tongue also is fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It crops the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It's set on fire by hell. Here, James used the word fire four times. Since James compares the destructive power of a tongue on fire to fire, especially forest fire, let me echo his point with a contemporary example. Do you guys remember last year, 2020, there was a major fire in Southern California called the El Dorado Fire. It had started in San Bernardino, Southern California. In September, it lasted the middle of November. It burned more than 22,000 acres. And uh, later they traced the cause of a fire, and guess what was the cause? I don't know. In our church, we haven't seen that one, but I haven't seen that one. But do you, some people do a so-called, they do a, uh, what is that, the, uh, you know, uh, the uh, gender-revealing party when the woman is pregnant and they call the friends and that they have two kinds of, you know, a, a sort of a smoke bomb. If it's a girl, it's a pink smoke comes out. If it's a boy, it's a blue, you know. It, that Eldorado fire was caused by one of those smoke bombs went off in the wrong way. That's what it caused. It's not just fire. We hear all the time in the news about the destruction caused by uncontrolled speeches and tongues. Last week, we heard that John Gruden, the highest paid NFL coach, Super Bowl winning coach, was fired over his uncontrolled speech, you know, written in emails. And, and we constantly hear politicians or celebrities in trouble because their microphone was on. They forgot their microphone is on and still, you know, they start, kept talking. I know some president of top universities has to resign because they partially plagiarized their speeches. 
You know, words are powerfully destructive. And the James calls the tongues incendiary power, not just a fire, but what did he say at the end? Fire by hell. Fire by hell. We all remember the hurtful words that still pain us from time to time. Do you have those kind of words? I do. You know, and the worst part, worst kind of hurtful word is the one that I uttered and stuck to my, you know. The several of them hunt me, you know, sometimes, several times a day. Yes, more than other people said to me, what I said to other people, that hunts me. Yes. So, that's being punished by your own, you know, mismanagement of tongues. But before we race back to those who misspoke to us or about us, you know, let us re, uh, pause, ref, pause to reflect the same deadly truth about ourselves. Bible takes, Bible tells us that God places a strong emphasis on the sins of speech. For instance, two of ten commandment refers to sins of the tongue. Third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, our God, in vain. And then commandment nine, thou shalt not bear false witnesses. How about the Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 to 19? It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives a wicked scheme, uh, devices a wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and person who stirs up conflict in the community. Three out of six things that God hates has to do with the tongue. Lying tongue, false witness that bears lies, and anyone saw discord among brethren or community. Especially in the church, I want to call out especially the subtle temptation of gossip. Gossip is a silent killer. Jewish Talmud said, gossipers stand in Syria but kills in Rome. <laughs> gossipers are invisible assassins, according to Talmud. Unintended, unwatched, uncaring, negative words about somebody else in their absence can cause deadly damages to the person and create the distrust and discrimination in the church community. Personally, I don't know any uh, gosh person in our church, but I want to bring this one out as a prevention. You know, gossip is a def gossip is simply is a uncaring curiosity. It's actually entertaining curiosity. You know? It's not edifying curiosity. You know, I have a curious, I, I, I'm curious about people. Not because, you know, I'm bored, but because I care about their spiritual condition and status and so forth. There is a caring curiosity or edifying curiosity, and there is an uncaring 
entertaining curiosity. And gossip is definitely letter. Finally, James calls us to watch out for our tongue because it's untamable. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, full of a deadly poison. You have to recognize that James doesn't say the tongue is untamable. He simply said no one can tame it. It is a humanly impossible to tame the tongue, but God can tame the tongue. Amen? Hallelujah. So, the final point is this. Our speech reveals our identity, and our identity in Christ can tame our tongue and transform our speeches. So verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce a fresh water. James could choose no stronger contrast to illustrate the duality of tongue than is used in praising God and cursing human beings. You know, blessing or praising God is a, one of the most important and positive forms of a human speech. Psalm 103.1 said, bless the, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that within me praise His holy name. If a praising God is one of the highest forms of speeches, cursing people is one of the lowest. To emphasize the magnitude of a misspeaking like a cursing, James added the expression, human beings who be made in image of God. You know, every human being is a divine image carrier. Yes, some people forget that fact. Or they never recognize that. That's why they behave like animals. But we the redeemed children of God, should not forget this fundamental privilege of being a God's special creation. We are the only creatures in the entire physical creation made in God's image. We are the masterpieces of a God's creation. And here, James was repeating, you know, calling attention twice, my brothers and sisters, in verse 10 and 12, my brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. This shouldn't be. You know, what he's doing is reminding us of our identity. He was saying that we, children of God, when we mismanage tongue, it's not just another human mistake. We are really missing the mark of God's original intention for our tongue. God did not give us the gift of speaking to curse and destroy others. God expects us to use this gift of speaking to create love and deliver life from the troubles. You know, somebody said the tongue is in a wet place. That's why it can slip easily. Today, we need to place our tongue in Christ so it can be under the control of our indwelling Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit controls our heart on a daily basis, over the time, the fruit of the Spirit will appear. And that includes the love, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all related to control of tongue. To tame the terrible tongue 
we must daily walk with the Spirit, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, let us remember that Jesus Christ is our, our tree of life. He was hung on the cross to give us eternal life. We are the fruit of His patience and love and kind words. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? When we are destroying Him, Jesus defended us. Jesus' kind word of forgiveness gave you and me God's forgiveness and eternal identity. That's who we are. That is the root of our identity. Therefore, let us bear the fruit of our identity with a gracious, kind speaking. Throughout his earthly life, our Lord spoke kindly and graciously to all sinners. So we, the followers of a Savior, whose nickname is the Word of God, we also speak kindly and graciously. You know, Benjamin Franklin once said, when you swallow an angry word unsaid, it never hurts your stomach. I would say differently. Swallowing an angry unsaid word will shine our Savior on the cross. Amen. Let me conclude this message with the story of a rabbi, Joseph Taluskin, uh, who is a leading Jewish spiritual leader and scholar in our time, and I'm actually checking some of his books. Uh, excited about a book called the Rabbi. That's how Jewish people uh, pronounce rabbi. And also he wrote a, a bestseller on the words that are healed, the words that are hurting. He lectured uh, in synagogues around the country on the powerful and often neglected impact of the word. At the end of his speech, he often asked his audiences if they can go for 24 hours without saying any unkind words about or to anybody. And he said, invariably, minority of listeners raise their hands saying, signifying yes. Some people, they find this impossible command. They, they, they laugh. And sometimes even large number, they even loudly say, no, we can't do that. And this is a final reply. Rabbi Josh Teluskin said this, those who can answer yes must recognize you have a serious problem. If you cannot go for 24 hours without drinking liquor, you are addicted to alcohol. If you cannot go for 24 hours without smoking, you are addicted to nicotine. Similarly, if you cannot go for 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you have lost control of your tongue. And this last statement is an important one for us to remember. There is no area of life in which so many of us systematically violated golden rule other than our speech. Lehman Strauss, a great, uh, well, the last generation's a devotional commentator, said this, James 3 is a key to the solution of most ills in, our, in church life today. I can agree more. And actually, I like to add that as a, this a James call for Taming tongue is a key to most of our problems, our homes today, in our country right now. It is a forest fire season. Our country has been fired because of a hateful word, ignorant word, 
and self-righteous world. Things are tinder dry in almost every community. We cannot even use a common word. So everything was weaponized and divisive. We have more than enough pyromaniacs in our midst, not enough firefighters. Let us watch out the hellfires of our tongues. And let us tame it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I usually don't give out the direct application at the end of the sermon because I like to leave the work of a conviction and repentance to the Holy Spirit. But today I make an exception. I need to ask everyone for one personal communal application. So this is our assignment for your house church. Throughout the week, watch out three unkind words that comes out of your mouth. Probably, hopefully, no more than three, but if there's more, pick three. And write them down. Write them down, three unkind words. Probably unintended, but it just came out. Once it's out, it's your word. Write them down and they share and confess in your house church. When we confess, God forgives us and he heals us. Let's pray.